9, Matthew chapter 9. What a, what a concept, what a, what a thought. You know, we, we experience the grace of Jesus Christ all the time as Christians in this life. But there's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to need a grace I haven't needed before. It's going to protect me from the judgment of God, and, and of course that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, through accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And as I mentioned earlier, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ, if you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, if you don't know for sure that your sins have been forgiven and that they're covered under the blood of Jesus Christ, then boy, get that settled today. There is no greater peace that you can have than knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior, than knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Well, Matthew chapter 9, our mission's emphasis, as I mentioned a little bit ago, is coming up soon. It'll be honest as soon as we get back from Israel. And we've been blessed to be able to support some good missionaries and church planters uh, through our church. And uh, if, if uh, we have a list of all of our missionaries there on the website, our church website, and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of prayer letters from them. And uh, if they have websites, which some of them do for their church or for their mission, uh, whatever, you can see that there as well. All their contact information is on there. Their pictures are on there. So uh, I encourage you, if you don't know who our missionaries are, to go and look at that and... and uh, Make sure you're familiar with them and pray for them because sometimes our mindset becomes one that causes us to give money to those who are going to these foreign fields or even going to uh, different places here in the United States and then to consider our job done in the area of missions. But our responsibility goes much farther than that. Uh, we have a responsibility to them financially, but we have even more of a responsibility to pray for those missionaries. When we took them on for support, we were saying that we were going to support them financially, but that we would also support them spiritually. We'll support them in prayer. We have a responsibility to know what our missionaries are going through and what they need so that we can better pray for them. There's no greater thing that we can do than to bring their names and their needs before an almighty God and to bring them before the throne of grace and inter intercede on their behalf. And, and, and for that reason, we're, we're going to put a stronger emphasis on that going forward through a couple of different things that we're going to do. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this on, our, on that Sunday, March the 5th. But um, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to start an Adopt-A-Missionary program. And uh, that's going to allow you specifically to focus on praying for, staying updated on, knowing the needs of one of our missionary families. And I'm not saying that you don't have to pray for all the rest of them, but, but, I, but, but you as a family are going to focus on that one missionary. Stay in contact with them. Talk to them. Figure out what their needs are. Figure out if there's ways that we can help them. And then, and then update us on those different things when we, when we have opportunities to do that. But, um, uh, and, and to stay in contact with them and, and to know what their needs are and to focus on that particular missionary family. <laughs> We'll, we'll have a, a, a way that we're going to go about doing that, but another thing that we're going to do is, is that, that, that's going to be a focus for us is a Mount Victory, uh, Mount Victory uh, Ladies Missionary Society, kind of along the same lines as the Adopt-A-Missionary Program, but they're going to meet once a month. They're going to focus on praying for, staying aware of the specific needs, because here's something, here's something that, that, that happens. Let's just say that a missionary wife is overseas in... Africa somewhere as a missionary, and she finds out that her father is going through surgery, and, um, and, and obviously she's not going to be able to leave Africa and come to be, uh, you know, uh, at the hospital for her, for her dad's surgery. And we may not be able to do that either. I'm not saying that the ladies are going to leave and go be at his bedside, but we can, we can uh, send a card to them, uh, to, the, to, to the family, 
there here in the states, we can figure out ways that we may be able to help them out. And so, um, again, it's just going to be focusing more on the specific needs of all of our missionaries collectively. So, and as important as all of that is, and as much as we're going to have to, uh, we're, we're keeping an emphasis on missions and getting the gospel out beyond the reaches of our community, we must never forget that our evangelism, evangelism efforts begin at home. Our Jerusalem is our priority. In the Great Commission, we were told to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you know uh, Bible geography, Jerusalem was where they lived. Judea was a little bit, was, was the whole surrounding area. Samaria was the area next to them, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, so it's expanding out, but he gave them their Jerusalem first. And this area is our responsibility first and foremost. Your neighbors are your responsibility. Your coworkers are your responsibility. Your friends, your family is your responsibility. And just by giving money to missions does not uh, uh, eliminate the responsibility that we have to reach this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous opportunity we have and what a tremendous responsibility we have. Let's read in Matthew chapter 9 what Jesus had to say about that in verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest." Now, Jesus is our ultimate example in every respect, every aspect of Christianity, but especially in the area of reaching souls. Jesus had such a burden and such a heart for the lost, and, and, and may I add that he still does. All throughout the Bible we see, uh, and, and the Bible is filled with verses that show us that Jesus is still calling and still begging lost sinners to come to Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Viewing the Harvest. Viewing the harvest. I want to look at some ways that we, just like Jesus, should be viewing the harvest. You can keep a, a bookmark or something there in Matthew chapter 9 because we're going to come back to it. But I've got a couple other passages that I want you to look at with me this morning as well. But let's pray and then we'll look at some of those passages. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here this morning. I pray that the heart of Jesus Christ in this area of reaching souls, lost souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ, would become our hearts as well. God, I pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage here in Matthew, that you'd give us a greater burden, a greater desire to share the message of the gospel with those who are lost and dying without Jesus Christ. God, may you burden our hearts for the people that we know and the people that we love and the, even the people that we don't know, but that we still love the same way that Jesus Christ did. And God, I pray that you would use this message in our hearts this morning to help us have a greater influence in this area for the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see, first of all, and, and, and everything that we're going to look at here in this passage is modeled exactly off of what Jesus Christ had in his view of the harvest. But first of all, we have to view the harvest with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the condition in which he found those people. It says that in, in verse number 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was moved by the condition of those people. They were, they, they were distressed physically and spiritually. They were distressed by 
disease and sickness, but they were also distressed by demon possession. And we see that happening where Jesus cast out many demons from, from different people. He went all the way throughout that area, healing them and preaching the gospel. And we find that in verse number 35. That was his primary goal, which, by the way, when it comes to missions, uh, we, we don't support a missionary who is not a church planting missionary. And again, if, if we had all the money in the world, I probably would support some of these other, uh, other uh, uh, ventures. But the whole point of going and doing a medical missions, uh, I think it's a great thing for somebody to go out there and help people where they can. But if you're not using that as an opportunity to share the gospel, then you're missing the entire point of the purpose of a medical mission. Or I see all the time that people are going to these other places and digging wells and everything else. And, you know, hey, we were able to give this number of people this amount of good water. And, and it was a great thing. And no mention of sharing the message of the gospel. No mention of anybody getting saved. The whole purpose of missions is to see people get saved, to see them get baptized, to plant a church and help them grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so they can reproduce themselves. And they can share the gospel with other people. That's, what our, that's where our mission's money is going to be focused on, is going to focus on those who are church-planting missionaries and giving the message of the gospel out. But that's exactly what we see that Jesus did there in verse number 35. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He was there to preach the gospel to them. And where he could, to use it as a tool that would help them, he healed their sick. He, he, he gave them that... Uh, that, that disease, uh, healed them of their sicknesses and their diseases. But he was there to teach in their synagogues and show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That ought to be our focus as well. But it wasn't that they were without synagogues. That It was in those synagogues that Jesus saw those multitudes. It wasn't that they were, were without scribes. They were in the, every city, but they were neglecting the flock. Human tradition had, had become the substitute for the, for the divine word of God. But I want you to notice that Jesus had to be among them to see the multitudes. He was working with them and moving among them and helping them, and that's what moved him to compassion. May the same thing be said of us. Are you moved with compassion when you see the multitudes at Walmart? How many faces that you look in as you walk in and out and walk through those aisles of people that know nothing of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is your heart not moved with compassion when you watch the, the, the thousands of cars passing back and forth every single day, even in front of this place. But drive in short pump for a couple minutes and you'll see thousands of people in the short space of an hour that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Are you, are you moved with compassion on them? When you see multitudes filling these so-called churches that are nowhere to preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you moved with compassion to think of where your family and your friends and your co-workers are going to be if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? They're going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. They're going to spend eternity in hell. Are you not moved with compassion when you think of them? As sheep having no shepherd. The tendency that we all face is the lack of boldness because of a desire to be liked. We all want to be liked, and, it, and I think there's something wrong with you if you don't want to be liked. But if the world approves and the world applauds and the world adores you, then there's something wrong with your Christianity. I would question whether your Christianity was really genuine if the world was your friend. The world hated Jesus, and they'll hate his followers too. Turn over to John chapter 15. You don't even have to take my word for that. We see in John chapter 15 and verse number 18... Of course, these are the words of Jesus Christ. 
In John chapter 15 and verse number 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you? The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Boy, nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be disliked. But our responsibility in this world is not to be loved. Our responsibility in this world is not to be liked. Our, our responsibility in this world is not to be adored. It's to give out the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes in doing that, the world is going to hate us the same way that it hated the person who became the gospel, and that's Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't have compassion on them because they loved him back. Jesus didn't have compassion on them because they were kind to him. He didn't have compassion on them because they were trying to be good people. Jesus had compassion on them. In fact, quite the opposite is true. He had compassion on them because they were so lost and they were so destitute spiritually and they were so far from God that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what moved Jesus into compassion for them. Not because they were doing everything right. Not because they were loving him and following him and, and adoring him. It's because he saw that the exact opposite was true. They hated him. And it didn't make him hate them back. They despised him. It didn't make him despise them back. It made him love them even more. It made him have compassion on them even more. And he said, boy, if they only knew what they were missing out on. If they only knew that they're just sheep wandering around without a shepherd. If they only knew what being able to follow that shepherd would do for them in leading them to those greener pastures. Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken was on an airplane when this infant started screaming and wouldn't stop. And all the flight attendants and the mother especially was, was doing everything they could to try to get this baby to stop screaming. And finally, Colonel Sanders asked if he could hold the baby. And so they passed the baby over to him. I don't know if they recognized his goatee or what, but uh, they passed the baby over to him and he sat there and he rocked that baby to sleep. And as they got off of the plane, Several people walked by him, and, and, and one, one passenger in particular said, Sir, we sure appreciate all that you did for us. And Colonel Sanders turned to that person, and he said, I didn't do it for us. I did it for the baby. And see, that's, we don't have compassion of what we can, because of what we can get out of someone. We don't have compassion, number one, because of what they can give back to us. We have compassion, number one, because of what Jesus did for us. Number two, because of what Jesus did for them. And number three, we have compassion because they often don't even care for their own souls because they don't realize the danger that they're in. If we don't care enough to have compassion on them, then who will? We must view the harvest with compassion. But back over in Matthew chapter 9, I think we see, secondly, that we must view the harvest with excitement. Boy, look what it says there in verse number 37. Of course, Jesus just had told them there in verse number 36 that, that he was moved he didn't tell them, but he was moved with compassion. It tells us that he was moved with compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But then Jesus turned to his disciples. Then saith he unto his disciples, verse number 30, 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. No truer words were ever spoken. And I think it applies even more today than it did when Jesus first uttered those words. But what a great opportunity we have in front of us as Christians in this world today. There are so few Christians among us, especially uh, compared to the last couple of generations, that it's almost impossible to talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
There's so many in this world that don't know Jesus Christ that you, you almost can't talk to enough people that don't know him, that need to know him. That's not a hindrance, that's an opportunity. The fact that there are so many people in this world who oppose Christians and Christianity is not a detriment, it's an opportunity. It's part of that, that plenteous harvest. And often those that oppose Christ the loudest are the ones who are under the greatest conviction in their need for a Savior. By the way, I find that to be true in almost all preaching. The ones who oppose the loudest are doing that because they're under the greatest conviction from the message. But I suppose the logic is true. I heard an old pastor say one time, you shoot a gun into a pack of dogs and the one that's hit will howl. And I, I think that's the same, the same thing is true when it comes to uh, those who oppose Christianity. And sometimes they're doing it because they, you know, they, they are completely under the influence of, of, of Satan. And, and of course, all of them are. That Satan is their father if they don't know Jesus Christ as their savior. But I think many times those who speak out against it the loudest are speaking out against it the loudest because they're trying to drown the voice in their head that says, you need a savior. You need to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And maybe somewhere along the line in their past, or maybe even as a child, they heard the message of the gospel and they're under conviction about the message of the gospel that they need to accept. And the only way that they can uh, to push that voice away that still small voice, that knocking that's on their heart door. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus Christ is standing at the door of every heart of those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and knocking and saying, Please won't you let me in? And to drown out that knocking, sometimes they speak the loudest in, a, in an effort to drown it out. But... They need Jesus Christ. And what an exciting opportunity we have. The harvest is plenteous. A pastor by the name of B.F. Mills, he was, a, he was a preacher from a generation ago, but he told a, he told a story. He said, I, he, he said, I remember going down the stairs in a hotel about midnight. He, I, I, he said, I had some letters in my hand, and I needed to mail them. And, and, uh, but when I got down the stairs, the clerk was not there. There was a policeman standing there in the foyer, and I told him what I was trying to do, and he said, well, I'll go mail those for you. Don't worry about it. And so he thanked him, and he handed those letters to him, and he turned around to walk back up the stairs. And as he walked back up the stairs, he heard a voice saying to him, why didn't you speak to that policeman about Jesus Christ? He said, well, you know, it's because it wouldn't do any good. And the voice said, well, how do you know? But he kept walking up the steps. He said, why didn't you speak to that man about his soul? He said, well, because I, I just didn't think it would do any good. He was a, a fleshy-looking man, and I, I just didn't think that he would respond very well to the message of the gospel. And that voice said again, you should have told that policeman about Jesus Christ. By that time, he was under so much conviction that he turned around, and he walked back down the stairs, and as he was rounding that corner, he heard the door close. And when he stepped out into the street, he didn't see anybody there. And his heart was under such conviction about not sharing the message of the gospel with this man and God started to speak to him, and he heard that voice again. He said, are you going to preach to others about the need to share the message of the gospel and then be a castaway yourself? But he went down there, and that police officer was gone. And he said, if I see that man again, I'll preach the, I'll preach the gospel of Christ to him, if it's a possible thing. But he said all that night, his heart was just heavy inside of him that he had missed an opportunity to share the message of the gospel with somebody that he had been commanded by the Holy Spirit to share the message of the gospel with. Well, later on that night, this was midnight, but the next day and, and that evening, he had a, he had a meeting uh, that he was preaching in, and sure enough, he saw the police officer in the very back of that auditorium. 
And he said, he said to himself, as soon as the service is over, I'm going to go back and talk to that police officer. But as soon as the service was over, the, the aisles started filling up. And as he tried to make his way back there, he just he couldn't, he couldn't make his way back. People caught him and talked to him and everything else. And the auditorium started to clear out. And from the back of that auditorium, he saw that police officer walking toward him with tears streaming down his eyes. And he came up to this pastor and he said, Sir, I've never known what it meant to be a Christian, but if you'll tell me, I'll start now. And he concluded that story by saying this, oh, I believe that all about us touching our elbows today, waiting in the store and in the street, looking into our faces across the table are people who are waiting for the touch of a living, earnest Christian in order to be led into the kingdom of God. See, you can never tell the wrong person about Jesus Christ. The harvest is plenteous. You just have to have eyes to see it. I sang the song a few weeks back, let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. If we could view the harvest with compassion the way that Jesus does, and we wouldn't get angry and be excited when we hear of somebody that died and went to hell. We wouldn't get excited about that. It would burn in our hearts even more. And burden our hearts even more. It would be more like a father who's disappointed in his son. It, it moves him to tears, and it makes him want to beg and plead with him to get right. No, a world opposed to Christ is not a hindrance. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to get out into the harvest and reap. It's not a burden or a chore or a drudgery to get out and knock on doors. It's a wonderful opportunity to get out into the harvest and reap. It's a wonderful opportunity that we should be looking forward to every chance we get. We have to view the harvest with compassion. We must view the harvest with excitement. But number three, back there in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, 37, I'm sorry. He says, the harvest truly is, truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We must view the harvest with commitment. What a sad commentary and how, how it must hurt the heart of the Lord who gave his life for lost sinners. There's people everywhere that need to be told of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the laborers are few. The multitudes were like the harvest, ready for the reapers, but no reapers were there to gather that precious harvest. No, no reapers are there to gather those precious souls. It was plenteous, but it was, it was ready to, to, to spoil because it was just laying there on the ground with nobody to go and collect it. It's not that there is no harvest. It's that there's so few who are willing to go out into the harvest and work. And we use that as an excuse so often. Well, people just don't respond to the message of the gospel today the way that they used to. No, listen, our, especially if you go back in our American history, there, there have been times when this, this country is worse than it was today. Think about the way that it was in the 1700s when they had that great awakening. You know why they had a great awakening in America? Because we had gone so far away from God that there was no way that this nation was going to survive if they didn't have something like that. And we've seen great revivals in the past in America. A revival doesn't happen when everything is going well and when everybody's a Christian and when everybody's living morally and when everybody's living right. Revival happens when people who are in a wicked, sinful condition realize that wicked, sinful condition and get back to being right with God. And once you get back to being right with God, then you will spread the message of the gospel to other people. It's not that there is no harvest. It's that we don't see the harvest and we're not willing to go out and work in that harvest. We have to see our responsibility to win the lost. If there would be reapers willing to work in the Lord's field, there would be a great harvest. 
not the pastor's job. It's not the young person's job. It's not the old people's job. It's my job. I must go out there and tell them. I must go out into the harvest. That's, that's the mindset that we must have if we're going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. As long as I have a leg that works, as long as I have a voice, as long as I have breath, I can go tell others about Jesus Christ. And not just that I can, but I should. I must. There's a lot of fake Christianity out there. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if you had one eye open toward what happened at the Grammy Awards a few nights ago. I didn't even know the Grammy Awards were on until the next day when even secular news outlets were, uh, were beginning to speak out against the blatant show of satanic worship in the form of a song that one of the artists sang there at the Grammy Awards. It's absolute wickedness, not even a hint of trying to hide the devil worship for all the world to see. But the saddest part about all of that is that there were many so-called Christians in that auditorium for that show, Christian artists. And by the way, they're artists. They're not. Uh, that's all they are. They're artists. They're out there performing, and that's all they're trying to do. But Christian rock stars, Christian contemporary music leaders, Christian groups, all, all with quotation marks around Christian, make no mistake that they're, they're just artists. But how do you sit in there and watch them mock God and watch them in their blatant show of satanic uh, revelry and not at least get up and walk out, let alone stand up and say something against it. Not one of them got up and walked out in protest. Not one of them, to my knowledge, has spoken out against it even after the fact. You cannot, as a Christian, watch somebody get up and blatantly mock Christianity and blatantly mock God and not be moved inside your spirit by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and not speak out and walk out. And it just shows you the state of what passes for Christianity today. And that's why I say if the world will be saved, if this area will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if your friends and your loved ones will be saved, it's up to us to tell them. Christianity is not doing its job in sharing the message of the gospel because so many of them don't even know the gospel themselves. And I say that to their shame and sometimes to our shame. But the Bible says that very clearly in Matthew. Some of them will say, many will say, the Bible says in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the state of Christianity, quote unquote, today. They want to pretend to be Christians. They want to carry that name, but they're Christians in name only. They're not true, genuine, born-again Christians who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You have to make that commitment to go out into the harvest field and labor till the night comes when no man can work. A man approached D.L. Moody one time and criticized him for the way that he went about winning souls. And D.L. Moody listened to this man very courteously, and then he said, how would you do it? And that man, obviously, he was taken back, and he, he kind of mumbled that he didn't, didn't actually do it. And D.L. Moody said to that man, he said, I prefer the way I do it to the way you don't do it. We have to view the harvest with compassion. We have to view the harvest with excitement. We have to view the harvest with commitment. And lastly, there in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 38, Jesus says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. You must view the harvest with prayer. See, Jesus' compassion moved him to pray. Many times in the Bible we hear that Jesus, or we read that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. That's convicting. When's the last time you spent the entire night in prayer? When's the last time you spent a few minutes in prayer? 
praying for those that you know that are lost, praying for those that you know that need Jesus Christ. Jesus, uh, all throughout his earthly ministry, and the thought in his heart more than anything was that he was come to seek and to save that which was lost. He moved his disciples to pray also, and they were too modest, I think, in, in their writing to say whether they had prayed all night with him or not, but the burden of the prayer was that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, can I say that it's the purest compassion to pray to the benefit of the souls of men? There's nothing that shows that compassion like begging God to lead us to souls that we can share the message of the gospel with and then be exciting, being excited about it when he does. That compassion should move you to pray. Pray that God would send laborers into his harvest, but be completely prepared that once you start to pray that God would send laborers into harvest, he's going to call you to do it. Oh, we'll, we'll pray, God, God, reach these missionaries, reach these people in these foreign lands, help these missionaries as they try to reach these people. And we'll pray that all the time. But then when God starts to move on our hearts about going and reaching the people that we know in this area that are right around the corner from us or that live next to us or that work with us or that are in our family, we start saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'll pray for the missionaries, but don't ask me to go do it. Don't, 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 don't try to convict me about going and sharing the message of the gospel. That, I'll pray, but that's not my responsibility. Somebody else can go and tell them. So you can't pray long without that conviction beginning to burn in your own heart about the needs of a lost world around you. When you don't have a burden to reach the lost, you're shouting to the rest of Christianity and to those dying around you that you're not praying for their souls to be saved. You're not praying for opportunities to share the gospel. You're not praying that God would use you in his harvest. Compassion and prayer go hand in hand. You can't have compassion until you pray. And you'll not pray until you have compassion. And when you marry compassion and prayer, the burning inside you to tell others about Jesus Christ becomes so strong that you cannot help but make your way into the harvest as a laborer for the cause of Jesus Christ. The problem is so few of us are willing to pray. The problem is so few of us are willing to beg God to use us because we know that he will and we're not willing to be used. We know that he'll point people out to us that we need to share the gospel with and we're too afraid to do it. And so we just don't pray. And may I add that God blesses the laborers in his field with an abundant harvest. You cannot work in the harvest for very long without reaping. You cannot labor for long in a place where the harvest is plenteous without reaping the rewards. And I'm not saying that God's going to bless you with all kinds of money and wealth and all of these other things. But have you ever led a soul to Jesus Christ? There is nothing more satisfying than watching somebody's sins rolled away. Nothing more satisfying than seeing that peace come over their face because now they know for sure where they're going when they die and it's not to hell anymore. They know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. And yet, I would say that the majority of Christians and probably the majority of people in this room have never led somebody to Jesus Christ. You don't know what you're missing out on. But you ought to be part of the harvest. If you're not leading people to Jesus Christ, then what are you doing as a Christian? Well, I'm trying to be a good person because Christians are good people. For what purpose? To point others to Jesus Christ, then why aren't you doing it? Well, what a responsibility we have. But what an opportunity we have at the same time. It was a dark, stormy night. The waves rolled like mountains and not a star was to be seen and a boat was rocking out in the middle of the harbor near Cleveland. And the captain said, are you sure this is Cleveland? I only see one light. 
from the lighthouse. The pilot said, I'm quite sure, sir. He said, where are the lower lights? And he said, they've gone out, sir. He said, can you make the harbor? And the, and the pilot said, well, we must or we're going to perish. And with a strong hand and with a brave heart, that old pilot turned the wheel and he started guiding that ship toward that harbor. But in the darkness, he missed the channel. And that boat was crashed on the rocks and many of those sailors that were on that ship died. And all because person in charge of the lighthouse, let the lower lights go out. See, Christians are like those lower lights that are directing people to the Savior. If we don't show them, if we don't show them the way, they're going to die. And they're going to enter eternity without Jesus Christ. There's a great harvest outside these walls waiting to be taken. It's not that there are no longer people looking for answers. It's that the laborers are all sitting in the heat and the air condition praying for other people to go do it. Talking about the harvest. Talking about the lack of laborers. Till we view the harvest with compassion. Till we view the harvest with excitement. Till we view the harvest with commitment. Until we view the harvest with prayer. We'll never be effective in the fields as laborers for Jesus Christ. I want to be used. I want to be useful in his service. There's going to come a day when we no longer have the opportunity to labor in his harvest. And by and by, when I look on his face, I don't want to have to say, I wish I'd given him more. Will you give him everything with the time that you have left? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, how can you not share the message of the gospel? You know what you've been saved from. You know where you're going when you die. How could you not want to take as many people there with you as you can? One of these days, we're going to stand before God. Everybody's going to stand before God. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And the wheat, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, he's going to say, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And we're going to walk into heaven. We're going to be joined everything that heaven has to offer. But the Bible says that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. I don't think that that means there's not any crying in heaven. There will be crying in heaven until the day he actually wipes our tears away. And I think the tears are going to flow when we watch those that we love, those that we work with, those that we had an opportunity to influence for the cause of Jesus Christ. As he says, depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire. I never knew you. And they look at us with those eyes and they say, you knew. You knew. You're going to enjoy heaven. And this is where I'm going to spend an eternity. You knew and you didn't tell me how you must have hated me. Because if you had loved me the way you say you do, if you had cared about me the way you say you do, you would have told me how I could escape this place. Won't you make a commitment with the time that you have left to share the message of the gospel with every single person you can? Jesus Christ is coming soon. I want to be found working in his fields when he gets here. 
by and by when I look on his face. I don't want to wish I had given him more. I want to give it to him now while I can. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for dying on the cross for us. Thank you so much for shedding your blood for me. I don't deserve what you've done for me. Not one single person in all this world deserves it. But you loved us so much that you did it anyway. And God, I pray that you would help us to love others in the same way. Enough that we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to share the message of Jesus Christ and how they too can know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. That they too can know for sure that their sins are forgiven. That their burdens have been covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I do pray that if there happens to be somebody in this room this morning that still does not know for sure that they're going to heaven, that they'd come and get that settled this morning. But for those who do, I pray that you'd help us to be witnesses for you. I pray that you'd help us to get on fire for the cause of Jesus Christ, that you'd burn that message in our hearts so strongly that we can do nothing but share the message of the gospel. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please.